Romans chapter number one. Um, it is Super Bowl Sunday, which means absolutely nothing um, because the Bears aren't in it and the Cardinals aren't in it. So uh, I know we have people who are supporting other teams, and that's okay. All I can say is go Blackhawks. Um, but anyway, um, we'll have uh, uh, a good time with it, and it's good to you know have. It's good to understand that we are just normal everyday people and uh and we can have a good time with it yeah well i don't know about you guys i'm i just think i'm thinking about closing up and starting all over again <laughs> with some of you uh, anyway romans chapter one if you will we're, we're we're moving through uh rather slowly here the introduction of the book uh we've seen the author we've been we're now looking at the audience the people and we'll continue to do that this morning uh, in verse number 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that, the, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And that concludes the introduction, really, down through verse 15 there. Actually, there are three things that are going to pop up here as we go through. He says, I am a debtor. And then he says, I'm ready to preach. And then he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed. So there's some areas that are here uh, again, to kind of make sure that we cover and we look at. But first of all, we've got to go back up to verse 8 and just kind of work our way down through. Um, my goal this morning is to belabor the point, but not to belabor the point in, in what we're doing here, where he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. It, it's interesting he says this first. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you look at Paul and he, come over to Second Timothy with me, and he'll say, do this, do this, but first, do this. Um, he, he, it's not Second Timothy, I've got to find it here. Uh, hang on, stay. <laughs> Where did it go? You know, he had it and it ran through my mind. I'm trying to rewind my mind. Look over at Titus. Well, it isn't Titus either. Anyway, go back to Romans 1. It'll come up. He'll say, hey, we're going to do this. He goes, but first, let's be praying for all men. That's the passage. That's in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2? Yeah, I knew it was there. What verse? One and two, yeah. Uh, two, one. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, 
supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead. See that issue about first? We've got a lot to do, but the first thing, first item on the agenda, and in, in 1 Timothy 1, it's the issue of prayer, praying for all men, praying for those in authority. Back here in Romans 1, guess what it's going to be? First, I thank God for you all, and I'm making mention of you in my prayers. And, and this issue about the prayer life, and first thing out of the gate is this issue about prayer. First, I'm going to thank God. I'm back, go back to Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The end of verse 9, making mention of you always in my prayers. And there, there's a connection here with the issue of the first thing out, Paul thanks God for them. And then he says, hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm thinking about you. You're on my mind. You're on my heart. You're, you're going here. So Paul begins to pray. That's the first thing out of the gate. And it's an interesting connection with the issue of prayer life, your prayer life, in your, involved in your Christian life. Too often times we look at our Christian life and, and we, we miss the prayer part because we're just moving and we're going. And yet prayer is what energizes the word of God to work effectually in you that believe. It's the issue of prayer. Prayer is just simply talking to the Father. That's all that it is. It isn't a posture. That's why in 1 Thessalonians he'll say, pray without ceasing. See, it's not a posture. Sometimes you do need to stop and sit. I do. I'll be thinking about something, and i got to stop what I'm doing and kind of concentrate in on it. Prayers and supplications. Prayers, general, supplications, very specific stuff. And he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel, that without ceasing, look at that, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul prays about 30, there's, it seems, he, he's constantly praying. There's at least 30 times that there's a mention of Paul praying for someone. We have five of, of Paul's prayers uh, listed for us in, in the advanced doctrine of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. If you look over in chapter 8, just talk about prayer for just a minute here, uh, uh, Romans 8, this verse gets abused, but when you remember and think about where we're at in the book of Romans, we're on that foundational ground. We're, we're just laying in the territory here, okay? And in Romans 1, he's, just go, he's going through some things of who you are in Christ, reminding them. And he's basically, hey guys, I pray that you'll just remember who you are. We're not talking about conduct yet. That's going to be Romans 6, 7, and 8. I'm just trying to remind you about who you are, and I thank God for who you are in Christ. And we've been talking about that and working down through the chapter 1. Look at 826. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The infirmities there has a context. Starts in verse 18 and works down through, okay? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That part of that verse gets missed because everybody runs to the end of this verse, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered, and they, people focus in on that, and now we got speaking in tongues, now we got running the aisle, we got all this stuff that is not in this passage at all. What I'd like you to see is, he says, we don't know how to pray, for we know not what to pray for. Well, as a young person in the message, do you know what to pray for? Do you know how to pray? You're a babe, you're just learning, you're just growing. So there's a natural thing there when you're going to do what? Pray for everything, which, by the way, Philippians says you're supposed to do. But you're, 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 you, you, one thing that happens to you when you come to understand right division is your prayer life goes in the can, goes in the garbage can. Because you've been praying, ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it'll be, you've been praying all this religious stuff. He tells the disciples there, don't pray as the heathen do with much repetition, <laughs> you know. It's like kid asking dad, can I have it, can I have it, bugging him until he says what? Yes, get out of the way, go, leave me alone. He says, no, you don't pray like that. And he talked to Israel. Well, that's how religion teaches us to pray. Paul says, hey, you don't know how to pray. I'm praying for you always. And I'm praying for you so that you'll learn and so you'll grow. And I'm going to come down there and give you some mutual faith and give you some doctrine and we're going to get you established so you're good. But when you go back there to Romans 1 verse 8, first, I thank my God through who? Through Jesus Christ for you all. It's like that thing we were looking at with the saints and the Corinthians. Are the Corinthians saints? The answer is yes. Because saints have, sainthood has nothing to do with your activity. It has to do with who you are in Christ. We'll deal with your activity later. Paul says, hey, I thank God for the Corinthians, but I have to thank God for them where? <laughs> in Christ, because look at them. It's the same idea here. He prays for them. He thanks God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now, that's an interesting dynamic here. Come over with me to Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter... Number two. Ephesians chapter number two. Three times he's going to talk about this idea here around through Jesus Christ. You got Ephesians two? Hold there and run back to Romans five. Let me give you the three. Okay? Romans five, verse one. Romans 5, verse 1, when he prays through Jesus Christ about thinking about you guys and talking about the Romans and has them on their, his heart, he's, he's, he's bringing into some thinking here, Romans 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, who, Lord Jesus Christ, we have what? Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to who? God the Father. We have access to this grace. We don't have access any other way. The Lord says, now go over to Ephesians 2. The Lord says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know that that sentiment is what Paul's dealing with. The only way you're going to have access to God the Father, have access into this grace wherein we were called, when he says that in 5.2, you 
He's talking about the message of grace, the message given to him. And when he says that, hey, you're there, but you're there by faith. And when I pray for you, I'm praying that you'll access that. And how how we're going to get into that. Ephesians 2, here's the next place where he talks about this. Verse 18, for through him, and the him there will be back up to verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, what did he do? He broke down the wall of partition. Well, first of all, he shed his blood, verse 13. Verse 14, he broke down the middle wall of partition. He abolished the the law of the commandments. He reconciles both the Gentiles and the Jews back together here. And he says, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 5.2 says, Romans 5 verse 2, how do we have that? By faith. See, Romans 5, 2 is, how do we have the access? By faith. Here we're having access by the Spirit to the Father. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Here's the next access, the third of the access points. In whom, and again, coming out of verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom... We have boldness. You like to have boldness, don't you? It was pretty bold of some of you to wear the jerseys you're wearing today. (laughs) Okay. All right. Boldness and what? Access. With confidence. By the faith of him. Everything. So when Paul steps up and he says, hey, I'm giving thanks. I'm thanking God for you. I'm praying for you. He's bringing in this issue of access. This is who you are. You're holy. You're beloved. You're a saint. You're called. You're the called of Jesus Christ. You're holy. You're a saint. You've been called to be a saint. You've been a member. You're beloved of God. This is who you are. And I pray that you'll access that and get into it. If you come over in Ephesians chapter 5, And verse number 20, Ephesians 5 and verse 20, here Paul, in the middle, uh, this is a wonderful passage. You start in verse 18, and this passage introduces the roles of marriage of the husband and the wife. But he does it in such a manner that where the context really starts in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the who? The Spirit. All right, so what does a Spirit-filled life look like? Verse 19. Speaking to yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. The first component of being filled with the Spirit, by the way, being filled with the Spirit, if you compare this with Colossians 3. I know I'm dumping a lot on you, but we're... Just rolling along here. Get all this in your thinking, and then we'll get back into Romans, okay? Colossians 3, verse 16. Being filled with the Spirit is the first part of verse 16 where he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. When you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, you know what you're going to be filled with? The Spirit. Now, when you come back to Ephesians 5, 
the first component of a spirit-filled life is having a harmony, is having a melody, is having some peace within you. Not out to other people, but within you. Where you're at peace. You're speaking to yourself. You have a harmony and melody. Then verse 20, and here's the verse I was after, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second component of a spirit-filled life is giving thanks to the Father. And that's what Paul's talking about. God, when Paul talks here about praying for him, God is going to work through his word, through the word of Christ dwelling in you, working through the Spirit. By the way, verse 21, here's the third component, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Way before he ever tells the wives to submit and the husbands to love, he says, you're going to be submitting yourselves one to another. You're already doing what needs to be done. We're just now going to put a role on it. When he says wives submit, he's not talking about just, you know, what everybody thinks, you know, lay down and just be nobody. Eve was a helpmate, not a helpmat. And she's a helpmeet, M-E-E-T. Come up long, made out of the rib, come up the side of the guy, of the man, to work with him. Well, when she's going to submit, by the way, it's not barefoot pregnant in the kitchen all day long. That's what, you know, you, people think. Even today. I, it's amazing how the wife, I, the, the stereotype of what the wife is has not changed even though all the gender stuff and all the equal, equal right stuff is out there that's still there. The wives submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto who? The Lord. Well, spirit-filled life, what are you doing? You have a harmony inside. You're giving thanks to the Father, and you're already submitting yourselves one to another. You're already serving one another. Sub and mit. Sub, subvert, get underneath. Put others up before you. Then when he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, now, guys, here's the, the heavy. And I'll be honest with you, when the wife understands the role of the husband, and the husband understands the role of the wife, things click a lot easier. When you get rid of all the misconception and all the stuff, and you, you, you begin to understand those roles, then life gets a little easier. Because when the wife sees the husband doing his role, then she's naturally going to submit to that. And when the wife is doing that and the husband sees that and understands it, then he's naturally going to love her. Pretty simple. Now I'll send all of you a $1,000 bill because I just saved your marriage. I didn't do it. The Word did it. By the way, look at verse 33. Wonderful verse here. I'm just... I'm, I'm just kidding with the, the bill, okay? <laughs> the offering box is in the back, though, okay? All right? Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so whatever role you're in, husband or wife, so love his wife, even as himself. Guys, we love ourselves pretty good, Okay? Bob told me he couldn't find a jersey to wear because he couldn't find one that just said Bob. Okay? Bob's his favorite team. I'm like, yeah, I like that. All right. See, next year you're going to have one? Yeah, the lady that can make it is sitting right over there. <laughs> okay? 
and the wives see that she, what? Reverence her husband. The, two great, the greatest need of a wife is to be loved. Security. Comfort. Stability. The greatest need for the wife in that love thing there is to be the apple of his eye. It's only drawn to her. The greatest need of the husband is what? Reverence. To be her hero. To be her knight in shining armor. That's it. No house, no job, no money, no kids, none of that. By the way, you'll notice that that sentence ends with a period. Because the marriage is the husband and a wife, not the children. The children make the family. Mar- you know, people, oh, we're staying together for the kids. Wrong. The husband is the man and the woman, the wife and the husband. Okay? Now, all that sideline, just kind of think about it. But what a spirit-filled life, what are you going to have? You're going to have some thanksgiving. You're going to have a harmony about you. And then you're going to have that issue of submitting. So go back to Romans 8 when Paul says, verse 8, Romans 1, verse 8, sorry. First, I thank my God. I'm talking to, I'm praying to the Father. Lamentation defines prayer as pouring out my soul unto thee. Talking to the Father. And he says, hey, I'm talking to the Father about you guys, and I'm bragging on you because your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. People know about you guys there at Rome. You guys, you're known by folks. They, underst- they know that there's a grace church there at Rome, and they've heard about you. Come over. <laughs> That's a great way to be looked at, you know. People know about you. Come, come back over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, as we've introduced this book, and this is lesson 13, <laughs> And we're just kind of getting ch- ch- rolling here. The book of Romans was lit, written late in Acts, but he's been preaching and teaching this information all along. That's why in this introduction, he's reminding them of things. And he's getting them the mindset there, because now and when we get down starting in verse 16, and we start jumping into the justification doctrines, he's really preaching to the choir, but he's not preaching to the choir because when you and I go out and when they go out and do the work of the ministry, where do we have to start? Where are you going to, if you were to die today, where are you going to spend eternity? We got to start at letter A. (laughs) You know, this past week I was on a field trip up to the zoo and uh, we were sitting there eating lunch, me and the other driver, and he's a staunch LDS, boom, 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 guy, and so he was asking me about us here, so I just got to talking to him, and you could see his eyes roll up, and his, you know, kind of get, oh, okay, you know, because I told him, hey, we'd study the Bible, we use a King James Bible, and that only, he goes, well, we use the other, I go, I know you do, and you're <clears throat> wrong, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, just kind of keep going and everything, but he doesn't understand. He has no clue. Paul's just reminding everyone. You know, I told him that we 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 um, I, I gave him kind of a preamble to the gospel because he cut me off. <laughs> it's like okay, you know, and and so forth. Why? Because that's where you start. 
you talk to anybody, you have to assume, first of all, that they are a sinner lost on the way to hell. So what's the first thing you got to give them? The gospel. Then if they say, yeah, 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 I believe that, then now you're going to go a different route and test that belief. Okay? And most of them have a works salvation type thing, and you can deal with them. 1 Timothy 1, he says, like, guys, I thank God that you guys are well known throughout the world. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. 2 Timothy 1, 15, did I say first? Sorry. It's my first mistake today. Don't, don't ask Linda. Just... 2 Timothy 1.15 This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. Isn't that interesting? You know, Rome, there's no indication that the church at Rome ever left Paul. This is Asia, Asia Minor, that whole territory there. And what's going on? They're doing what? They're leaving him. They're following a man. It's a wonderful thing there in Acts 20 when Paul talks to the church, at, the elders at Ephesus, and he says, grievous wolves are going to come in from without and from within. And within, they're going to seek to pull away from you. And he says, that's a dastardly person that does that. And I'm warning you, because it's going to happen. Because what do men begin to love? The attaboys, the pats on the backs, and the center of attention. So they, and off they go. That's what's going on here. These guys are following bad doctrine. Uh, if you come over to chapter 2, chapter 2, here in verse 17, there's Hymenius again. And he's associated, and, and uh, Philetus, and these guys are associated with teaching uh, doctrine that is not dispensational. And off they go, and they're beginning to fall for these guys. If you come over to chapter 4, so what do you do then? Chapter 4, verse 2, what does Paul say? Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Right now it's out of season. It's out of season to say that Christ died for your sins. It's out of season to say that we're a Bible-preaching church. It gets, it's out of season for that. But what do you do? Preach the word anyway. Okay. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know, that's a scary thought. He's talking to believers. He's talking about believers. That's a scary thought that people would would leave the doctrine, the sound doctrine, for whatever. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Man, what a, what a warning. So when you come back to Romans 1, Paul says, I, the whole world knows about you guys. By the way, there's another group he says that about in 1 Thessalonians 1, talking to the Thessalonians there. And he says, hey, you guys were in, were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word 
so that we need not to speak anything. People know who you guys are. And that's what he's saying to the Romans here. First of all, guys, Romans 1, verse 8, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. I thank the Lord for you. I'm glad you're here. Everybody knows about you guys. Verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request. And we'll get into verse 10 next time, that issue about the prosperous journey and all that. Okay? But notice verse number 9. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Paul had a regular prayer life. And that regular prayer life was critical in his service to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When he says, I serve with my spirit, that's the third component of the makeup of man, the more the spirit, soul, and body. And we've looked at all of that. But notice that issue about service. I didn't grab a new Bible this morning, but in the new Bibles, they like to change that word servant. If you look at verse 1, Paul, a servant, they like to change that to slave. And that's not at all what it is to be a servant. A servant, a slave is someone that... uh, doesn't have any free will, doesn't have any volition, isn't able to make a decision on what they can and can't, but you know a servant does. So when you, when you think about this issue here about serving and service, Paul, he's going to now move, begin to kind of give you an indication of what's coming in verse 14, when he says, I am a debtor. Paul possesses a sense of indebtedness. Not out of a threat like a slave, you know, do it or else you get, but rather out of a condition of understanding who he is, what's what's going on, what God's doing today, what is transpiring And Paul is real quickly here going to talk about being a servant. I serve in my spirit. So do you guys there at Rome. So do you guys at Southwest Bible Fellowship. You guys serve. Come over. So I just will take a few minutes here and look at this issue of serving. Being a servant. Uh, Run back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Slaves, by the way, Paul only, there's only one time that that word slave shows up in the, in the New Testament. Um, and it has nothing to do with being a servant. People take the Bible, people take the Old Testament, and they say, and they use this issue of slavery against the Bible and against God and that he was a, for it and all this stuff. And that is, that is not the case. That's heresy, actually. Because in Exodus... If we have time, we'll go over there. God actually protects the slave, protects that person and that individual. And he's not going to sit there and promote and say, you know, this or that. Rather, he, he says, no. If a man go, In Exodus, he says, if a man goes down there and steals another man, 
The guy that stole the man, you put him to death. You kill him. That's what slavery is, when you go in and steal the men and then go sell them at market. And they're in Exodus. He clearly, no, that's not what we're talking about. We think about slavery as that issue of buying and selling people. God's like, no, you don't do that. Well, what about Israel? And they were, weren't they the slaves to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, but why were they slaves to Babylon? Because they had rejected the commandments of the Lord. And he told them, if you don't obey me, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and what did they do? They made the free will choice to do what? To disobey. See? So they became a servants. When Paul says, I'm a servant, I'm serving the Lord with my spirit, he's expressing, that's an expression of Paul's love. And in that love where he seeks to fulfill his duties to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say it that way because we have a duty there. See, sometimes I think we think, ah, we're in grace, we can, we don't. We don't. And that's right, you, you don't have to, you can, whatever. But that doesn't mean you don't have a duty to it. It just means you're choosing to do your own thing. There's a duty here. Look at Acts 20. By now you've been able to find Acts 20. I did, finally. Acts 20, verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Here's going to be a description of Paul's heart here. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And serving the Lord with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept nothing back, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course, notice, with what? With joy. And the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Notice Paul's attitude. I'm serving the Lord. And I understand what's ahead of me. And guess what? It isn't going to be the Hyatt Hotel. It's going to be camping out underneath the stars. It isn't going to be spectacular stuff. But I got a duty. And I'm going to do it with joy. And I'm going to accomplish what I'm to accomplish. Paul describes how he served the Lord here. He did it with a sense of, I love that, all with the 
in verse 19, with all humility and tears and temptations. He's just a guy just like you and I, but you know what he said? I don't, no, we don't do that. We're doing this. Bob asked me this morning, that's how I get on him already. If I'm still on my diet, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> how am I doing? Why? Because what happens? You get over here, you get in the lunchroom, don't you? He told me not to go next door, that's the lunchroom. <laughs> okay? But no, you got to do what? You got to stay right here. You got to focus in on it. A slave. By the way, I, I love verse 24. He's just getting started on his ministry, on his course. And he says, I want to finish it with joy. Then what does he say at the end? I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. How did he do it? With joy. Woohoo! Contentment with God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because he, he, he stayed right where he's supposed to be on the doctrine. When a slave or a prisoner, a prisoner serves jail time, do they do it with joy? Does he look forward to serving his sentence with joy? Usually not. How about a soldier in combat? Is there a sense of serving in that with joy? Not at all. They just want to wake up the next day. They just want to get through the day. But serving. The only the only the type of service that you and I are have to God the Father is a is the type of service of, uh, that a son would yield to the Father, and that's a service of joy, not a mandate, not a do it or else. Come over to Romans twelve. So when Paul says, I'm serving in my spirit, he, he's reminding the Romans, as he is reminding you and I, of our service. Now, we're again, we're introducing the book. Paul is not getting into the details. He's just using ter phrases to remind you, because here's the details. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... The only time, the first time he's going to talk about service is 12 chapters into the doctrine. You know what happens when you get saved? They instantly want to, the religious crowd, instantly we're going to go serve God. Problem is, they don't know how to do it. You got to have 11 chapters in, you got to have those three of the four foundations in you before you can ever go serve. By the way, having it in you, but having it work in you, two different things. You've got to be on the ball. You've got to be moving here. And what does he say? I beseech you. He doesn't say, I demand of you. He says, I beseech you, therefore. I'm coming to you in the official note message of the love of God's grace to think about and to consider to do some things now. I beseech you. Someone said, that's him begging. He's not begging. He's Therefore, you remember that stuff in Romans 6, 7, and 8, we were talking about your identity and that you're dead and alive and back and forth. Remember, based on that, 
by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living, what? Sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Wait a minute. Romans 8, uh, 6, 7, and 8 says I'm a dead guy. But what am I? Alive to God. I'm a living sacrifice. Holy. Uh Uh-oh, there's that saint thing again. Acceptable unto God, which is your, what kind of service? Reasonable. See, being a slave is unreasonable. I can't think. I can't get out of it. I can't use my volition, my free will to make choices to do. I've got to do this. But a servant can do what? Hey, I can, i got choices. I've got some liberty. Stand fast in the liberty. We'll get over there in just a minute. You see, folks, you're to yield. You're to present your body. It's an act of your free will that you present your body a living sacrifice. I beseech you, an appeal to the sound doctrine in you. And our response to that is to be a response of love. It's to be a love response. It's to be a a response of a reasonable service. It's to be a response of, you know what, I I understand who I am in Christ, because I'm here in chapter 12 now. I know I'm not Israel. I know what God's doing with Israel, did, done, and will do. I'm right here. My response is a one out of joy and love and delight. True worship, true service is an act of your, of, of your volition, your free will, in response to the goodness and the grace of God and what he freely bestowed upon you, gave you. And you know what we say? Thank you. But thank you doesn't seem like enough, but you know what? That's all that's required. Prayer with thanksgiving. Thankful for the food. (laughs) Thankfulness. Because in Romans 1, we're going to see that the problem that sets us apart from the heathen is the heathen were unthankful. He wants us to be thankful. And when we're in that, that response of presenting, yielding. Come over to Philippians 2, okay? Philippians 2. I'm trying to move along here, Philipp- but it isn't working. <laughs> There's, this is so big, folks, it's, it's to wrap around you, and we'll get more into the service stuff when we get into Romans 12, but when he says, I serve in my spirit, he's drawing that back up into their thinking because, again, the church at Rome there, They have been through the Romans' doctrine already. Just because he's writing to to them at Rome doesn't mean they haven't already been taught this. Follow that. He's laid this stuff out since day one. This isn't anything new. And by the way, if you think it is new and just started with Romans, then that means from Acts 9 to 20, what gospel was he preaching? See, now we're into this two-gospel thing, two-calling thing, see? But when you understand that from day one, that's why we were looking at it in Acts 26, that day, now, right here on the road to Damascus, here's your message. You're going. Here's what you're preaching. That's critical to catch. Because I know people, 
in our own circles that I know very well that say, oh, they didn't know that back then. He's just doing it to them. No, he's been preaching this message since day one. <laughs> Justification happens day one. Anyway, Philippians 2. You get it? Find it? Philippians 2. Look at verse 22. But ye know the proof of him that as a son, and the him here is Timothy. He's talking about Timothy. Okay? He's going to send Timothy over. Uh, verse 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He's, gonna, he's sending Timothy down there to take care of him. And he says, when he gets there, receive him as me. He's, he's in verse 22, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath what? Served with me in the gospel. That love relationship of a son with the father. Timothy knew the position of Paul. He knew who Paul was. He understood the doctrine that Paul was preaching and teaching. And you know what he did? He fell in the right position. He didn't try to usurp Timothy, Paul. He fell as a son with the father, that love relationship that's there. His compulsion is one of love, not a threat of you got to do this or not, Timothy. Timothy says, send me, I'll go. I'll go and serve. I'll do that. Come back over to Galatians 5. I'll go. And you know what? Service and serving the Father is that son laboring with the Father idea. That's what he's talking about. We put names on it, sonship. But man, when you get into it, it's much more than just a title. It is so, it's, it's all consuming because what begins to happen is you, you begin to value and esteem things the way God the Father does because you value how He thinks. If I think about uh, sons and dads working in the same business. Okay. I was watching a show, and it was some things about cowboys and ranches, and they had three families and how they're passing it down through the families. And every dad said, I hope my son continues on the ranch. I hope. No threat of you've got to do this, but rather I hope. That's the idea. God values the expression of the family as we express back to him that we value him. Galatians 5, verse 13, For brethren, we've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, what? Serve one another. Not slavery. Not, you got to do it or else you're going to get nailed. But rather, by the way, slavery motivation is fear. What's grace motivation? Love. Out of love. We're going to do what? Serve one another. But where does that come from? Verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He says over there in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 that we're the Lord's free man 
Boy, what a great thing to understand. Come over to Ephesians 6. When you understand the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ, you know what really quickly happens? You begin to understand and, and, and actually you begin to delight in the duty of serving him. You ever have an off day, a bad day, and you just wake up feeling not saved, not justified? You just want to go, you don't, you, boy, you guys are holier than me, man. <laughs> I tell you what, what. And you know what the Lord says? You're mine. It's okay. And what do you do? You go, thank you, Lord. And then the bad day turns into an okay day, into a good day, because you get moving. You see, folks, that's the liberty of it. That brings in a sense of duty then. Ephesians 6, verse number 6, talking about the servants here, the employee. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Look at that. The servants of Christ. But you're doing it from where? From the heart. That's a service from deep within you. Deep down in you know, the bowels. Deep down in you. Verse 7. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. What are you? You're the Lord's free man. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 22, 23, right in there. You're the Lord's free man. So let's go serve the Lord. So when Paul reaches back here in Romans 1 and he says, Hey, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. He's talking about that internal motivation coming from the heart. He's... He's getting motivated by what's going on inside of him, not what's going on around him. In Romans 12, he'll say, you're fervent in spirit. You've got to get going. Come over back to Ephesians 4, verse 23, that you'd be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Boy, you're going to look at the realm of service in an educated manner. How do you renew your mind? The daily intake of God's word rightly divided, isn't it? That's why reading three chapters a day is so essential, if you will. I would encourage you to read more than three chapters, but if, I can get you, if we can get you to do three, we're, good, we're done good. We've done well. It's a transforming impact. It gets in you. And when he gets in you, we were talking a couple weeks ago about when you get in Christ, he, he genetically changes and alters your spiritual DNA. He makes you alive, Ephesians 2, 1. He, so you literally are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You liter, your DNA now is his. That's why he makes you a new man, a new creature, because you are now his and he is used. You're joint heirs with Christ. You got this, you're in the family. Remember we talked about that? Shake your head yes. Make me feel good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what he's doing here. Hey, I'm serving with my spirit. I'm on board with you. I'm motivated here 
by the word working in me. I am read as much as in me is. Are you in Romans 1? If not, you need to be there. Look at verse 15. Romans 1.15. So as much as, what? In me is. Who's in him? Well, we're having a bad day today, so just all of it. Who's in him? Christ. He says, I'm what? I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are there at Rome. You know why he's ready to preach? You know why he's serving in that spirit, in his spirit? Because that word's in him, and it's on fire. And it's got him on fire. You remember Jeremiah? Oh, Jeremiah, he got, he got thrown in jail. He says, Lord, you lied to me. He's all mad at the Lord. Jeremiah 20. You remember that? No? Yeah. And he, and he goes, I ain't saying a word to them. I'm not preaching your word. I'm not saying another thing. And he says that he couldn't sh- keep, he saw what was going on, and he went right out after him because the word burned within him. Paul is left at Athens alone. The whole city is given over to idolatry, and he goes right up to Mars Hill and pounces on them. Why? Because that word burned in him. He had to go into it, kind of like the microwave. You know, a microwave cooks from inside out. At least that's what they tell me. I tried it. You know, it didn't work. I'm still. <laughs> he, it's in him. And what does it do? Busting out. So in one nine, when he says, hey, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel, boy, he looks at that and he says, guys, this is coming from inside. Now, you'll notice he says, for God is my witness. We've got three minutes. God is my witness. Come over. Notice this in 2 Corinthians 3, this issue about God is my witness. Boy, what a, what, a way, what a witness to have. You know, you and I can say that. God is my witness. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? <laughs> Paul, here we go again. Got to do this again with you guys. Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of recommendation from you? Paul is always under the magnifying glass, constantly. Verse 2, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in the tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart, and such trust we have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. The Spirit of the living God. Where's our sufficiency? Not in ourselves, it's in God. Verse 6, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. What's going on here? They're rejecting Paul again. This has been going on a long time. And Paul says, I still ministered to you. 
Why is Paul still doing that? You and I, when somebody kind of gets in our way, we just kick them to the side and keep going. Paul doesn't do that. Why in the world is he, here we go again with the Corinthians? He's written to them at least four times now. Maybe of a fifth one, depending on how you want to read a couple passages. And he goes, holy cow, guys. Paul... turns again to them and says, I'm ministering to you again. How? Why? Well, verse 5, where's the sufficiency? It's not in we, it's not in ourselves, it's not in our flesh, because my flesh would have just, you're done, get out of here. It's our sufficiencies where, where's our supply come from? It comes from the word of God burning in us. He was able to love the ones who wouldn't love him. He'll later say, "Though I be, uh, be less lo- the, the more I love, the less I'm loved. They rejected him. They've, ki- they've kicked him to the curb, and he's still right there with him, with them. And he says, you know what? That's why in verse 6 he says, we're over here with the spirit, not the letter. What does the letter of the law do to you? Kills you. Makes you guilty. What's the spirit do? The law, the law comes in, and it, it's a, it's a performance-based system. Perform it or not, you, you better perform, you better perform. But the, that's on me. But where's my sufficiency? It's in God, and it's in the Spirit of the I can't do that. The sufficiency, the capacity that continues to motivate you, to value, to, to minister to you, comes from... Serving the Lord in my spirit comes from inside of me. Something deep down inside of Paul, an inward spiritual empowerment that enabled him, come back to Romans there, to accomplish the ministry regardless of what's going on outside, the outward circumstance, the outward attack. It's an inward issue it's an internal thing so when he says hey God is my witness (laughs) I'm out here doing this not to get glory from you because you guys don't even like me some of you I'm doing it because of who of the duty that I have he says, given to me was a dispensation. If I don't do it, guess what? A dispensation was given to me. If I do it, I got a reward. He's got no ifs, ands, buts about it. You know what? Neither do you, quite honestly. Neither do you. And our duty, and our service. Well, but Ray, wait a minute, Rick. You put, no, that's, that's your legalistic mindset. Get out of that mindset. You have a duty to serve the Lord in my spirit, see. We tend to sometimes run to, oh, well, my three minutes are up. So we'll pick up in verse 10, okay? The worship here, the spirit serving. First, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. And I'm serving you from deep down inside of me, what's going on, okay? And we'll pick up and move on from there, all right? I was told not to go over today. So we're working on that, okay? <laughs> All right, I, I got like three more pages of notes here. So 
We'll do them next time, okay? Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, we thank you for who we are in your Son. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right.